Hi, welcome to Pineapple Reels. I'm your host, Nia, and on today's episode, I'll be covering director and writer Quentin Tarantino's film Inglorious Bastards, which came out in 2009. That is the sound of the spoiler alert. If you have not watched Inglorious Bastards and you would like to do so, go ahead and stop this podcast, watch the movie, and come back once you've finished. The plot summary for Inglorious Bastards is as follows. In Nazi-occupied France during World War II, a plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish U.S. soldiers coincides with a theater owner's vengeful plans for the same. Inglorious Bastards is the sixth film from the wildly creative director Quentin Tarantino. We get to follow a group known as the Bastards and see what events would unfold in this alternate version of Nazi-occupied France. And yes, there will be bloodshed. It is a Tarantino flick. Chapter 1 Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France In true Tarantino form, the opening scene is very tense, as if it was building up to something. Colonel Hans Lana arrives at a dairy farm due to reports that a dairy farmer is hiding a Jewish family. After questioning him, Hans Lada tells him that he is required to do a search of the property. Makes a conducting of a search unnecessary. I might add also that any information that makes a performance of my duty easier will not be met with punishment. Actually, quite the contrary. It will be met with reward. And that reward will be your family will cease to be harassed in any way by the German military during the rest of our occupation of your country. You're sheltering enemies of the state, are you not? Yes. You're sheltering them underneath your floorboards, aren't you? Yes. Point out to me the areas where they're hiding. The dairy farmer confesses to hiding them and points out the spots where they are hiding underneath his floorboards. Hans Lotto calls out to his men outside and gives them the order to come inside and shoot the floorboards. They end up killing the entire family underneath, except one survived and ran across the field, the oldest daughter, nearly escaping a bullet from Hans Lotto himself. Chapter 2, Inglorious Bastards Three years later, in 1944, we meet Lieutenant Aldo Raid played by Brad Pitt. He is a leader of a Jewish-American commando unit known as the Bastards. My name is Lieutenant Aldo Ray, and I'm putting together a special team, and I need me eight soldiers. Eight Jewish-American soldiers. We're gonna be doing one thing, and one thing only. Killing Nazis. When you join my command, you take on Debbie. And Debbie, you owe me, personally. Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scouts. And I want my scouts. And all y'all will get me 100 Nazi scouts taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis. Or you will die trying. He addresses his crew and tells them that their goal was to bring fear into the heart of the enemy. He also tells them that each and every one of them owes him a debt of 100 Nazi scouts. 
Later on, we meet ill-tempered Hitler, who is throwing a tantrum about the bastard's latest escapade. He questions a private who had a recent run-in with the bastards. He was the only survivor. He tells his story, and it goes as this. Their patrol was ambushed, and they were asked for intel on where other Nazi soldiers may be. They let him go, but they carved a swastika into his head, just like all the others. And we get to meet in this soldier's flashback, we get to meet Eli Roth's character known as Donnie the Bear Jew Donowitz. He is known for beating Nazi soldiers with a wooden baseball bat. Sergeant Donnie Donowitz. You might know him better by his nickname. The Bear Jew. Have you heard out of the past you got heard about the Bear Jew? I heard of the Bear Jew. What'd you hear? It's general soldiers with the club. He bashes the brains in with a baseball bat, what he does. And Werner, I'm going to ask you one last goddamn time. If you still respectfully refuse, I'm calling the bear to you over. He's going to take that big bat of his, and he's going to beat your ass to death with it. And take your wiener snit so they can finger and point out on this map what I want to know. Fuck you. And your Jew dogs. <laughs> Actually, when we're all tickled to hear you say that, quite frankly, watching Donnie get nasty to death, the closest we ever get to going to the movies. Donnie! Yeah? Guys, the German here wants to die for the country. Oblige him. Chapter 3 German Night in Paris. Shoshana, who we know as the only survivor of the Jewish family that were massacred earlier, has now assumed the identity of Emmanuel Mimio. She owns a cinema in Paris. A well-known soldier named Frederick Zoller sees Emmanuel and is smitten. He flirts with her, but she does not seem interested, mainly due to his job and all of the things that goes on with it and all the lives he has taken. He is very forward with her, pushing him, uh, himself onto her, and ultimately, he speaks to the director of the film he is starring in and convinces Joseph Goebbels to hold the premiere at her cinema. Now, at first, the size of the small cinema gives the director some concerns, but Zoller convinces him that a smaller venue works well because it will make the event more exclusive and exciting. Now, obviously, Emmanuel, or Shoshana, still mourns the death of her family and devises a revenge plan. With the premiere, there will be a lot of highly ranked Nazi officials and officers. Her plan is simple, to burn down the cinema by using her collection of flammable nitrate film, which burns three times faster than paper and is cheaper than buying explosives. Come here to see if you want to go, bro. 
Their mission is called Operation Kino, an attack on the cinema with help from the bastards and a German double agent who happens to be a known German actress. Her name, Bridget von Hammersmark, played by Diane Kruger. Hikax was chosen as well as Churchill. They're both chosen based on their expertise of German film. Bridget sets up a meeting with Hikax and two of the bastards, Wiki and Stiglitz, in a French tavern that just so happens to be located in a basement. Lieutenant Alderain and others comment that the location's horrible and they're going in blind, but they continue on with the meetup anyway. You didn't say the goddamn rendezvous in a fucking basement. I didn't know. You said it was in a tavern. It is a tavern. Yeah, in a basement. You know, fighting in a basement offers a lot of difficulties. Number one being, you're fighting in a basement. Now, this bar scene has a lot of moving parts. So Bridget found this location and decided to use it because it was isolated and there wouldn't be any Germans there. Though ironically, on the night of the meeting up, it is filled with German soldiers because one soldier is expecting a baby or this baby just was just born and his commanding officer gave him and his buddies a night off. So they're at the bar celebrating, drinking, having fun, playing games. So while they're there, here goes the bastards, High Cox and Bridget speaking about the next steps for Operation Kino. So it's basically just a clusterfuck of super bad luck that they're all there at this precise time. That's why this scene is so tense. You're waiting for something to happen. If you know Tarantino films, you know something's going to happen. You just don't know what. You just know that it's going to be something super explosive. And what transpires in this scene is, in my opinion, one of Tarantino's most memorable scenes that he's ever created. The next scene starts out normal, but with every passing line that is said, the tension starts to rise. The first issue comes with one of the bar patrons, who is a German soldier. He begins speaking to Hycox and notices that his accent sounds odd. It's just so convenient that SS Major Dieter Hellstorm, played by Augustine, is, excuse me, August Dale, is at the tavern as well. He agrees that High Cox's accent is rather odd. Hellstrom invites himself to their table and they talk a bit before playing a game. Before we get that slug out, you need to answer a few questions. Questions about what? Matt, I got three men dead back there. Why don't you try to tell us what the fuck happened? The British officer blew his German at the Gestapo Major side. Now, some time has passed and Highcox politely asks Hellstrom to lead them so that they can be on their way as they're old friends and they want to catch up. He gives a little bit of a pushback before agreeing to leave after he buys them a round of drinks. At this point, we mark the second time Highcox blows his cover. The first was his odd accent and the second was his improper hand gesture. How the shooting star? English. away. How do you do that? He ordered three glasses. He ordered three glasses. That's the German three. And the other looks odd. Germans and did notice it. At this point, we mark the second time High Cox blows his cover. The first was his odd accent, and the second was his improper hand gesture. Though at the time, he didn't think anything of it. For those of you, including myself, who aren't German, 
The Germans have a particular hand gesture for the number three. It's supposed to be your thumb, pointer, and middle finger. Highcox held up his ring finger, middle, and pointer fingers, which would mean he's either American or British, but more importantly, not German and shouldn't be dressed up as a German soldier. SS Major Hellstrom sees through his facade. And since he's feeling slighted, he points his gun at Highcox's groin, which in response, Stiglitz points his gun at him. And Highcox points his gun at Hellstrom. Now, after a short and respectable pause, there is a 15-second shootout between everyone at the bar. Well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking to kings. By all means, Captain. There's a special run in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Seeing as I may be rapping on the door momentarily, I must say, they have good stuff there. Now, about this pickle we find ourselves in, it would appear there's only one thing left you can do. And what would that be? And the remaining bastards infiltrate the bar to check for survivors. The only two left is a German soldier, William, from earlier, and Bridget, who has been shot in the leg. William agrees to surrender to the bastards and puts his weapon down, only for Bridget to turn around and shoot him, ultimately killing him. He knew she was working for the enemy and she didn't want to leave anything to chance. Lieutenant Rain and the Bastards take Bridget to a veterinarian clinic to hear what happened as the vet tries to dig the bullet out of her leg and tend to her wounds. After asking her questions and weighing their odds, they decide to stick to the original plan and swap out certain roles. Bridget explains the plan to them. Three of the Bastards, Lieutenant Rain, Donnie, and Omar will pose as Italian film directors as it's the only other language that they can speak. What could possibly go wrong? Bridget gets a cast on her leg after they take the bullet out, and the excuse you're going to use is that she was mountain climbing because Germans love mountain climbing. Okay, let's pretend there were no Germans. Everything went exactly the way it's supposed to. What was the next step? Tuxedos. To get some inches of premiere, wearing military uniforms as all the military there would have been suicide. But going as members of the German film industry, they got tuxedos and fit in with everybody else. I arranged for a tailor to fit your tuxedos tonight. I know this is a silly question before I ask it, but can you Americans speak any other language than English? We both speak a little Italian. It's an atrocious accent, no doubt. But that doesn't exactly kill us in the crib. Germans don't have a good ear for Italian. So you want an Italian and brazen through it. Is that the plan? That's about it. That sounds good. Sounds like shit. What else are we gonna do? Go home? No. That sounds good. You don't blow it. It's that that can get you into bidding. Who does what? Well... I speak most Italian, so I'll be your escort. Donald just fixed second, Moser. He'll be your Italian cameraman. 
Omar third most Luke McDonald's assistant. I'm speaking Titan. Like I said, third best. Just keep your fucking mouth shut. Back, why don't you start practicing right now? Colonel Londo, who is now an SD officer, investigates the bloodbath at the French Tavern. In the wreckage, she finds a woman's shoe and a handkerchief that is signed by Bridget with her lip prints on it. He obviously puts two and two together and knows she was there. He also could tell that two of the, bo the dead bodies belonged to two of the bastards by recognizing their faces. Chapter 5. Revenge of the Giant Face Colonel Londo spots and approaches Bridget and Rain in the lobby of the cinema at the premiere. He is able to see right through their attempt to camouflage themselves as authentic Italians, especially with their horrible, stereotypical attempt at an Italian accent, which is truly comical. Rain's southern accent bleeds through extremely heavily. Londo requests to speak with Bridget privately and questions her in a small room. He makes her try on the shoe he found at the tavern, and when she does, they can both see that it is obviously a perfect fit. Deeming her a traitor, he lunges at her and strangles her to death, then orders his men to arrest two of the bastards that were waiting in the lobby, Private Yudovich and Rain, who are then forced into a truck and driven to a non-disclosed location. Right. Back at the cinema, Shoshana and her lover Marcel are in the projection booth when he tells her it's time. Marcel leaves to lock and barricade the auditorium doors, then proceeds to go behind the screen for his next cue. The two bastards in the cinema plant explosives under the seats and leave to make their way upstairs to the balcony level to kill Hitler. Shoshana loads the fourth and final reel. We see Zoller leave the auditorium due to feeling uncomfortable, and this is right before Marcel had locked the doors. He goes up to the projection room to flirt with Shoshana, who turns him down rather sharply. Zoller, who isn't used to hearing no and is, is, you know, just irritated from Shoshana's shenanigans, tells her that she's being disrespectful and tells her, tells her that she needs to respect him. She tells him to lock the door, and when he turns around to do so, she shoots him in the back a few times. She then later rolls him over and sees that he's holding a gun, and he shoots Shoshana, and they both bleed out from their fatal wounds. At the same time, Diane Omar ambushed the guards at the box office. On the final reel, we see Shoshana's face projected and she tells everyone at the theater that they're all going to die. And she is the reason why. And she's a Jewish woman, woman that is, wants her revenge. And on cue, Marcel flicks his cigarette onto the large pile of nitrate film behind the screen, which engulfs the theater in flames. Donnie and Omar burst into Hitler's box and open fire on Hitler and every other theater goer that they see. When the bastards sit with Londa, he reveals himself to be a turncoat. He tells Rain and Yudovich that four major Nazi leaders must all be killed to end the war. 
Since they are all at the cinema watching Nation's Pride, he is willing to let the bastard's plan continue at a cost. He doesn't want to be tried for his war crimes and end up being executed. A deal that Rain can't approve, but his general can. Rain contacts his general, voiced by Harvey Keitel, and Londa states the terms of his deal. He wants a full military pension, benefits under his current rank, the Congressional Medal of Honor, American citizenship, and a home on Nantucket Island. He also reveals that he took and planned to the explosives that he pulled off the bastards in Hitler's box at the cinema. Rain's general tells him the next steps, which include Landa surrendering to them once they reach American lines and then reporting for debriefing. The theater goers try to flee but can't due to the barricaded doors. The dynamite Landa place finally goes off, killing everyone left inside the theater, including the remaining bastards. Seemingly the next morning, Landa and his radio operator take the last two surviving bastards, Rain and Yudovich, towards American lines in Normandy, per their agreement. Londa surrenders and gives him all of his weapons. He is handcuffed and Rain kills the radio operator, then orders Yudovich to scalp him. Londa is outraged and shocked, saying that Rain's going against her deal. And then Rain gives him the same speech he gave the last remaining German soldier from a prior scene, worried that he will take off his Nazi uniform and try to blend in with American society. He wants everyone to know the horrendous deeds that he committed as a Nazi officer. Rain claims to have a remedy for it. Rain carves a swastika onto Landa's forehead and declares it to be his masterpiece. Overall, what did I think of Inglorious Bastards? Um, I really enjoyed this film. This is Tarantino's sixth film. And I saw this in theaters when it came out. I believe I was in high school. I was in high school. Me and my dad saw this together. And, you know, when you hear about something like this, you're like, oh, wow, that'd be a really, uh, you know, unique, different way, you know, if history went that way. And when I got home, I actually looked it up and there actually was a group entitled the bastards that were actually trying to do trying to do this this mission of trying to trying to kill hitler and stop nazis and they they killed a lot of nazis but they they their their story is not talked about and it should be talked about more so definitely look into that i think it's a very interesting read Alrighty, folks, and now it's time for the INDB facts. The body count of this movie is 301. The peculiar glove guns that Donnie and Omar use are known as Segley OSS 38s. They were originally designed as a last resort weapon for U.S. Navy construction crew in the South Pacific. Although the movie is fictional, it was partially inspired by Operation Greenup a real-life mission by the Office of Strategic Services. In February 1945, three OSS agents, Frederick Mayer, a German-born American spy, Hans Winberg, a Dutch-born agent who, like Mayer, was Jewish, and Franz Weber, a former Austrian officer, were parachuted into Austria. For several months, Mayer gathered intelligence on the German's Alpine Fortress by posing as a Nazi officer and as a French electrician. While staying with Weber's family in Innsbruck, Winsberg and Weber radioed the intelligence back to OSS operatives in Bari, Italy, 
When Mayer's cover was blown by black marketers, he was captured and tortured by the Gestapo, but refused to give up the other two agents. However, General Franz Hofer, commander of the Nazi forces in Western Austria, realized the war was lost. And looking for a way to surrender his force to the Allies instead of to the Red Army, he had Mayer brought to his house and offered to send a message for him to the OSS offices in Bern, Switzerland, through a German agent. Mayer helped negotiate the surrender of Germany's Austria forces, which took place in Innsbruck on May 3, 1945. Afterwards, Mayer and Winchberg returned to America. In 2012, they were reunited via a webcam interview for the History Channel documentary, The Real and Glorious Bastards. Winchberg died the day after the webcam interview, and Weber died in April 2016. Inglorious Bastards is Tarantino's highest-grossing film since Pulp Fiction. In all, it grossed a total of $321 million. Operation Kino, which Kino in German means movie theater, may have went over the heads of some, but the irony that German-born Ireland-raised Michael Fassbender played a British soldier, now knowing that, maybe you can rewatch and try to listen for the changes in his accents. He does a great job with the subtle nuances in the accents that he does provide. This is the only movie that Brad Pitt made as a leading actor for the Weinstein Company or its previous iteration, Miramax. He only did so to work with Tarantino. In the 90s, Weinstein and Pitt had an altercation after Pitt heard about the sexual harassment incident with then-girlfriend Gwyneth Paltrow. Tarantino started writing this movie before Kill Bill Volume 1. So in total, it took him a little over 10 years to write, film, and direct this entire movie. Ironically, Brad Pitt can speak German in real life, having learned the language and visited Germany multiple times out of an interest in his German ancestry. Ironically, his character, Lieutenant Aldo Rain, never speaks German in the film. My favorite character in this film is the character that Eli Roth plays, which is Donnie. And I like it just because I like the accent that he's using. He's like a typical dude from like the East Coast or something. Um, He gained, I think, like 30 pounds for this role. And Eli Roth isn't in too many films, but I do like when he does these subtle little roles or small cameos like Cabin in the Woods. I appreciated his role in Cabin in the Woods, but this one I think we really get to see a little bit more of his acting side, which I really appreciated. And if you don't know, Eli Roth is a director. He's most known for Hostel or, um, what is it, the, is it called The Green Inferno? I think that's the correct name of that movie. If not, it's The Green something. Um, and he's usually he usually does horror, and he's an, a phenomenal director. I think he has a very amazing mind and he makes these very unique horror movies that are not typical and I think that he's one of the few directors that you know is really putting the horror back in the American horror genre because if you look at horror movies over the past maybe 10-15 years they haven't been the best on the American side in the past couple years they're just now getting better with people like Eli Roth or Ari Aster where we're we're slowly starting to build that back up, thankfully. So when I was looking up these uh facts about Inglorious Bass or these behind the scenes facts, I found one that I didn't really think about until I read through the list. So Londa's choice of food for Shoshana is symbolic and another way to test her and play psychological games with her. 
Now, earlier in the beginning of the movie, the glass of milk is a callback to La Padite's farm where Landa drank milk and Shoshana's family died beneath the floorboards. As for the strudel that he's eating, during World War II, it would likely have been made with pork lard, which is not kosher and therefore not allowed by Jewish dietary laws, which makes so much sense in the scene where they're sitting um, and they're speaking about her showing this German film at her French cinema and he makes her makes her wait for this cream for this pastry that they're eating and insists on her eating it. He's being extremely polite while doing it, but it's a polite force of, you know what I could do if you don't do this, as well as, do you really want to blow your cover? So Shoshana is a very smart and quick-witted girl to, well, excuse me, woman, to know that she has to play a certain role. Inglorious Bastards shows that cinema can be very influential. In real life, Nazi-created propaganda films show them in a great light and fabricated real-life events. Just like in this film, we know this is not how Hitler meets his demise in real life. Tarantino has a way of bringing the watcher truly into the film. You get to sit in this scene and feel the tension. It's as if you are there experiencing it all for the first time. So why Tarantino is one of my favorite directors is I feel like he has a way of, even if you can assume you know the way a scene's going to go, it's not going to end the way you think it's going to end. And it's going to have real life dialogue in the movie, which I really appreciate. I like that the scenes are a little bit longer than usual. So you get to really sit in that feeling and really get to experience it. If a character's anxious, he's going to... Do something that makes you anxious. So in this film, the scene where they are all in the um, bar, the, the tavern, underground tavern, and uh, you have the bastards that are outside that can't see inside. That scene to me is one of the best fil- scenes that Tarantino's ever made because he does such a way of these slight little things that, you know, you may or may not pick up on. And I have a friend, she's German, and when she saw the film, the part where um, Michael Fassbender's character, uh, Highcox, where he messes up with the German three, she told me that she's very surprised to see that because in real life, that is something that Germans do. They do. They do have a particular way of doing a number three. So she said as a German native, seeing that, she thought the same thing that those other two characters thought of, like, you know, why would you do that? Because that's not what we would do here in Germany. So she said it was like she knew a secret that others didn't know. And when I saw the film, seeing that didn't make any make a difference to me until I saw the reaction of that SS major and how he kind of shifted his... It was subtle, but the way that he kind of shifted his eye, his tone stayed the same. He's very good at, you know, uh, camouflaging what he wants to say or how he wants to act because obviously he's doing it all the time but I loved all these little itty bitty things that added up in the scene you know it was uh Bridget signed the napkin for that German soldier if she never did that then La- uh, Londa probably wouldn't have never known that she was there yeah her she was left behind but that could have been any female's shoe um, I, I like that there weren't survivors in the bar scene because that added to, you know, the the next scene that we see with them at the cinema. 
Um, I like how they played it back. I just, I just really loved how that scene flowed and the dialogue. And speaking of the dialogue, when they're playing that that card game where you put a card in your head and someone's trying to guess, you're trying to guess the character that's on your head. I liked that Tarantino slipped in something where it. I don't think it should have went over anybody's head. It's pretty painfully obvious. Um, but I like that he slipped in some just slip that in there you know where you still got to you're you're comparing two things that shouldn't be compared but I just I just really liked how he did it you know where he it's kind of like he kind of got away with it you know Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Pineapple Reels. If you would like to follow me on Instagram, that handle is going to be Pineapple Reels. If you have any comments or suggestions, go ahead and email me at pineapplereels at gmail.com. For the next film, I'll be covering Sparrow, which came out this year, um, starring Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson. And I'll be putting that episode out in the next couple of days. Stay tuned.